Good morning. Many of you um, probably have a Christmas tree in your home with lots of lights and decorations on there. Thank you. And um, if you don't, that's okay. We're not here to judge. My confession is that we haven't quite gotten there yet. We blame it on the three-month-old, as we do a lot of things these days. Um, And so you you may have this Christmas tree in your home. And so I want you to take for a moment, I want you to imagine this tree and all of the many things that are on it that are important and meaningful to you, right? So, So imagine this tree in your mind. Now imagine you wake up on Christmas morning, and in the place where that tree should be standing, there is now a Christmas stump. No longer a tree, but the stump, the remnants of your tree. You see, for the prophet Isaiah in today's text, (laughs) that's what's happening. He doesn't have a tree. Isaiah has a stump. And this stump just sits there for Isaiah in all of its stumpiness and as a reminder of all of the things that could have been, the great things that could have been, and a reminder of all of the things that were for the kingdom of Judah. It's a painful stump. And last time I checked, I don't, I, don't, I don't know, I don't keep up with these things, but last time I checked, there wasn't a great market for Christmas stump decorations. So it's likely that Isaiah's stump was not very festive and fun. Isaiah's stump is simply that. And so in today's text, we have, we have this, this, uh, this, these two images, these two promises that we are given, and those two promises are in the middle of these two stumps that Isaiah talks about. It's really one stump, but he refers to it twice. And we have this promise of hope and this promise of peace. But first, we've got to deal with that stump. So uh, going back to, to verse 1 of today's text, the shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse. And so it begs the question, you know, let's think about what exactly is a stump. So if we go to, to a dictionary, a dictionary is going to say something along the lines of, a stump is the small projecting remnant of something that's been cut or broken off, or worn away. And so we already talked about this idea of a tree stump, right? A stump can be the stump of a lot of things, but we already talked about a tree stump. And so I thought to myself, I'm going to call the guy that I know that knows the most about trees, and that happens to be our bass player, Jose. He's a a certified arborist. So I said, Jose, from an arborist perspective, what is a tree stump? And here was his answer. He said, what is left of any tree that's been cut down, regardless of its age or height? And it's that last part that kind of caught me, that found found that interesting, regardless of its age or height. You see, it doesn't matter if it's this little poinsettia here, or if it's a hundreds-year-old glorious giant tree, when that tree is cut down, (laughs) it's just a stump. They're both stumps. It doesn't matter how new, how young, how fresh, how small, how large, and how glorious it is. When they're cut down, they are both simply stumps. And so in today's text, uh, Isaiah is dealing with a stump. 
And this stump can be a lot of things for Isaiah. We're going to spend some time looking at the, the many different things that this stump can represent for Isaiah. And, and, and a few of those things are the, the real threat of Assyrian rule and destruction. The Assyrians are to the north, and they, they threaten the kingdom of Judah, where Isaiah is and lives. And the threat that would come hundreds of years later in, in Babylonian captivity and Babylonian exile. And also this very real threat that Isaiah is living through around the time that this text is written of the, the lineage, the family tree, if you will, of the line of Jesse and the line of David being cut down or <laughs> being stumped. These are all things that Isaiah is having to deal with in his world. See, the prophet Isaiah lived in Judah and, and served as essentially a senior advisor, if you will, to King Ahaz. King Ahaz is the king of the kingdom of Judah, and so he, uh, Isaiah, is tasked with providing a sound counsel to King Ahaz. And King Ahaz has this tendency to not listen that much. Uh, sometimes he does, but m most of the time we'll find that he doesn't. And so Isaiah advises King Ahaz to place his trust in the Lord and the Lord alone and not to enter into any alliances with his human uh, people that he finds around him, uh, whether that be the, the tribes to the north or any other people. He, he says, don't, don't enter into alliances with him. Place your trust in the Lord. The Lord has promised to keep us and to deliver us from our enemies. And Ahaz, Ahaz actually does a pretty good job, uh, King Ahaz does a pretty good job of listening to Isaiah at first. You see, you have Judah, the kingdom of Judah, where King Ahaz is the king of, and Isaiah is there. And then to the, to the north a little bit, you have some 10 more of these tribes of Israel. And then further to the north, you have the big, bad Assyrian empire. And this is the big, scary thing to all of them because it's huge and it has uh, lots of might. And so some of these tribes from the northern region come down to King Ahaz and into Judah, and they say, hey, we have this problem. We have these big bad Assyrians to the north of us, and they're really our neighbors, and we're kind of scared of them. So we're asking you to join us in fighting them and preparing to, to, to conduct an uprising so that we can fight off and fend, fend off the Assyrians. And per Isaiah's counsel, King Ahaz says, no, we're good. We're going to stick with the Lord, <laughs> who has cared for us so far, and we're just going to stay out of this conflict. It's not really our problem. We're going to trust in the Lord to protect us. You should do the same. Well, see, the, the northern tribes come back a little while later, and their invitation to join them in an uprising uh, turns into a threat. And that threat is, join us or else. And the or else is, we will begin to lay siege upon you. And they actually do that for a time. So King Ahaz, in his infinite wisdom, um, recants his, his previous position of, of trusting in the Lord and not entering into alliances. And he does not exactly what you might think, rather than saying, okay, guys, you know what? We have this common enemy. Let's join together. Let's go fend off the Assyrians. King Ahaz kind of goes in the other direction. Much to, much, uh, to, to, to Isaiah's dismay, King Ahaz sends diplomats and treasures from the wealth of the kingdom of Judah up to the king of Assyria and says to Assyria, hey, I have this problem. These guys wanted me to join me to fight you, and I said, no, thank you, but now they're fighting me. Could you come and help me out? And, you know, these gifts that I sent you, these treasures, there's a lot more of it to be had. So if you come and help us out, 
we'd be glad to share more of these treasures with you. As you might imagine, the king of Assyria is more than glad to oblige. So he comes in and lays absolute destruction to the northern tribes, and he annexes large parts of this area of the northern tribes into the Assyrian Empire. But see, something more, something deeper happens when the Assyrian Empire annexes these, these lands into their empire. The Assyrian king makes the kingdom of Judah his subject. You see, King Ahaz is no longer this autonomous ruler that he once was. King Ahaz is now a subject of the Assyrian king. So you must be asking yourself, where are we going with all this? What does all this mean? Well, what this means is what it means to Isaiah. That's what's important about it. And what it means to Isaiah in the context of this scripture being written is that the family tree, the line of Jesse, the father of David, and their kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, has been cut down. It's been stumped. Everything that informs the kingdom of Judah of who they are as God's chosen people has been essentially taken away from them. And so much like Isaiah has these stumps that he's dealing with or this stump that can represent many things, we also have stumps in our world, in our lives, and in our culture that come up in our lives and cause us our own problems. We get hung up on Oh man, the stump is just a reminder of all the things that used to be so awesome back then. And we also get caught in, oh, this stump is just a reminder of all the glorious things that could have been if only whatever hadn't happened. Or if only I had made this decision rather than that. Some of you who have been uh, members of this church here for a long time or whose families have been members of this church here for a long time may uh, see this church as a stump of its former self. We see the pictures and we hear the stories of how in 1958 there were 4,000 people coming in and out of the doors of this church on a given Sunday morning. And you fast forward to 2019 and now there's about 700 people coming in and out of the doors of this church. And so we might think to ourselves, look at this stump of what was. And we get hung up on that. Some of us may also look at the United Methodist denomination as a stump or soon to be a stump of what it once was. We have these cultural stumps that exist in our lives. We have younger generations who, who fuel, feud with older generations and older with the younger. We, you know, how many times, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm 31 now, I've had plenty of my get-off-my-lawn moments in my life. That's my confession to you. How many times have you heard or have you uttered the words, oh, kids these days? Or my favorite, because I'm one of them, oh, millennials, if they would just I'm not getting a lot of reciprocation, but I know deep down in your heart it's true. This is a place of confession and of mercy. Amen? Amen. One of us believes it, but that's okay. We're going to get there by the end. And, on the other, and, so, and so these people, oh, kids these days, oh, millennials, we're stuck on the stump of what was the greatness of the past. And on the other side of the coin, you have younger people and millennials saying, oh, <laughs> this is a new, a new thing that's coming up, right? But, oh, boomer. Boomer, right? As, as a derogatory term, right? Oh, that boomer. And these younger people are stuck, stuck on the stump of what could have been if not for, oh, boomer. To 
okay, people. There's, there's mercy here. Barna, <laughs> Barna refers to our culture as a digital Babylon. It goes as far as to say that we are living in a post-Christian world, in post-Christendom. And this idea, the bumper sticker of coexist that you put on the back of your car is the religion of our culture. It doesn't matter who you are, what you do, how you do it, uh, what you believe. As long as we all get along, it's okay. We lament the things that, that were the glorious, gloriousness of the things that were, the stumps in our lives where we say, oh man, I remember whenever I was a kid, I used to be able to go outside and play, and my kids can't do that anymore. It's just not a safe world anymore. We even lament the stump of how two plus two apparently no longer equals four because they teach math differently these days, right? Who here has experienced that? I haven't yet, but it, it, things are changing, and things do change, and it's terrifying. The stump of realizing that we can no longer have a conversation about something we disagree about and try to find some common ground without getting angry and polarized. Everything and everyone is so polarizing. You must be pro this or you must be anti that, right? And I'm acutely aware of this reality as I stand here speaking to you, knowing that the inflection of my voice and the things that I say are inherently because of the lenses that we've been given in our culture, causing us to put what I say and what I think and the ideologies that must exist within me into certain holes and to start to begin to paint a picture of who I am when that picture may not be accurate. Because, see, in our culture, in this, this stump that we're stuck on, causes us to live in this place where there's no more room for nuance. There's no more room for figuring it out, for living in the tension of what we know and what we don't know. There's no more room for that. So we have, Isaiah has this, this stump that represents these things, and our culture has these stumps that represent these things. And, and in a very similar way, our lives, our personal lives, have these stumps that can be very real, tangible things and can represent other things in our lives. And some of these stumps, they're, they're big, insurmountable, scary things. Death can be one of those things. And we get stuck in the stump of what was and what could have been, if not for death, the loss of a parent, a family member, a child, a close friend, even a distant friend. These are difficult things in our lives that arise. I had the opportunity last week, along with my brother, Frank, to um, do music for the liturgy of a funeral mass of a friend of mine, a guy I graduated with in 2007. 31-year-old guy. And um, I, my, my, the truth is, I probably hadn't seen him since our graduation or maybe even before, but there was a time in my life when he and I were good friends in junior high and early high school. And, and so that, that process of dealing with the loss of this person and the loss of this friend also led me to understand and to, and to lament the loss of a friendship that I had once had that had fallen away. And so in that way, a lot of times we, we get stuck on these stumps of lost friendships, lost acquaintances, people that move for jobs, people that move for college, or people whose lives change, whether it's for good reasons, for bad reasons, when people get stuck on their own stump of addiction or losing their faith, and we lose them in our lives. 
the real pain and stump of lost or strained relationships, the real pain and stump of failed or failing marriages, poor health, health problems, frightening diagnoses, a loss of the sense of the things that bring us security, whether those things are uh, righteous or things that are fleeting of this world, they're real. And they bring us a sense of security. And when we lose these things, it can arise as a stump, something being cut down in our lives. A loss of identity, both in the world and in Christ. See, a few years after I graduated high school, uh, my father died unexpectedly. And that was a really painful season of my life. And, and out of that, there was a great part of me that was cut down. That was made into a stump. And what I failed to realize for many years is that that stump was something I didn't know how to deal with, how to work through, how to understand, and how to move on from. And because of that stump, I went and entered into a path that brought me (laughs) into a lot of other complicated stumps. Things that I didn't have the, the, the knowledge and the capacity to deal with. I found myself a few years later in a career that I never wanted anything to do with, trying to convince myself that this is who I was and this is who I was supposed to be and that it was okay because sometimes life just happens. And on and on and on, trying to rationalize where I found myself in life. And I reached a point where I began to believe this lie that I was no longer a person <laughs> that God could use to do his work and to do ministry anymore. The ministry that he had called me and was calling me into. The stump of my father's death loomed large on my life for many, many years, and it still does. I'm still working through that. But praise God for opportunities to work through things, to to live in the tension of what I don't know and what I do know, to live in the tension of figuring stuff out, And here I am 10 years or so later, and I have basically functioned in three different what we would call proper careers and stepping into a fourth. And I finally feel like maybe for this season, I'm in a place, I'm in the place that God has been calling me into and has been shaping and forming my life and preparing me for. So I ask you, church, where are the stumps in your life? Where do you feel cut off? Where are the places in your life that you can no longer imagine something good coming from? Let me ask that again. Where are the places in your life, those places of deep despair, of deep pain and hurting, the stuff that we try not to look at and pay attention to a lot of times? Where are the places in your life that you can no longer imagine something good coming from. We read today in, uh, well, we didn't read this today, but we're going to read today in Matthew's gospel, uh, chapter nine, verse nine, or chapter one, verse nine, regarding the lineage of Jesse and David. We read Matthew's ancestry.com uh, report on where Jesus came from, essentially. And so we read, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Well, there's a familiar name to us today, Ahaz and Hezekiah. Ahaz being the king of Judah, and Hezekiah being his successor in the king, the kingdom of Judah. But wait, this this is confusing because we just finished talking about how in Isaiah, there's this stump of Jesse, 
the lineage of Jesse and David has been cut off. But now we're reading in Matthew that they are part of the lineage, the heritage of Jesus. You see, what Isaiah knew and what Isaiah felt and where Isaiah was writing from was this place of understanding that the lineage of Jesus has been cut off. But church, as it happens, the stump was not dead. The stump is not dead. Furthermore, the stump is the very place from which God is launching His hope, our hope, and His peace, our own peace. We read in today's scripture, verse 1, a shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And in verse 10, on that day the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nation shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. And in verses 2 through 5 go on to give us this image of hope in the one that is to come. And verses 6 through 9 create this radical image of peace that is kind of hard for us to comprehend. And there's this painter named Edward Hicks who was a, a Quaker painter in the 1800s, and he painted as many as 62 versions of what he called the peaceable kingdom. And we're going to throw that up now. And, and so this is one of the very, very many of them that he painted. And we can see this image of peace on the right side of the screen. We have all these animals that are hanging out peacefully together who should not be hanging out. And it should also be noted that uh, critics these days say that he was not a very good painter. So that's okay. We're going to give him a pass on that. But the point is, is that he had a deep passion for this idea of the peaceable kingdom. And you see there all these animals hanging out together that should be trying to kill each other. And you even see children uh, playing with venomous snakes and all kinds of things that to us uh, in our day and our time would make us cringe. But this is the kind of peace that uh, Isaiah is talking about. And, and Hicks, in his time, he, he would also, if you could see on the back and the left, he would paint these images within the peaceable kingdom of his own people, the Quakers and Native Americans, hanging out together in, in peaceful fellowship. And this is another version of the peaceable kingdom where you have the Quakers and the Native Americans together in peace. You see, church, the kind of peace that Hicks is painting, the kind of peace that Isaiah is promising, this true peace is only real under the lordship of Jesus Christ. This isn't, let's just all get along. This isn't a coexist kind of peace. This isn't, let's just agree to disagree on this number. I never talk about it again. That's not the kind of peace Isaiah is referring to. That's not the kind of peace that Hicks is painting. This is Isaiah 11, verse 10. On that day, the root of Jesse, who is Jesus, shall stand as a signal on that mountain that Jesus preached about last week to the peoples. The nation shall inquire of him and his dwelling shall be glorious kind of peace. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, drew all kinds of people to himself during his ministry here on earth. And here this church, we, we are called into that same 
ministry. We're not called into a variant of that ministry. We're not called into a watered-down version of that ministry. I would even venture to say that we're not called into a 2019, almost 2020, because it's Advent already, version of that ministry. We are called into the very same ministry of Jesus Christ, the very same ministry that He modeled for us through the power of the Holy Spirit. So, church, we must, we must ask ourselves, in this image, who would be standing across from us in peaceful fellowship today? You see, church, we know some things that Isaiah didn't know. So we have a little bit of a fair advantage, unfair advantage here. We know that Jesus is the root and the descendant of Jesse, of David, son of Jesse. In Revelations twenty two sixteen, we read, It is I, Jesus, who sent my angel to you, With this testimony for the churches, Jesus himself says, I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. We also know that Jesus was the root from the beginning. We read that in John 1. We also know that Jesus is the shoot and that we are the branches. We read about that in John 15. And we also know that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father and reigns over the kingdom that is and the kingdom that is to come. And we read about that in Luke 22. See, church, we worship and we serve a God who specializes in stump revitalization. He is in this business of bringing life to what is seemingly dead. And the places where we only see loss and death and the places where we're stuck on the gloriousness of what was or the potential of what could have been, Jesus brings us new life full of hope and full of peace. And it's not peace and hope we have to wait for. It's here and now. So I ask you, church, can you see Jesus working in the midst of the stumps in your world and in our culture? Can you see Jesus working in the midst of the stumps in your life? Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we come before you humbled by your greatness, humbled by your sheer might, your ability to take the parts of us that consist of pain, that consist of loss, the parts of us that we no longer have hope in. That God, that you promise to breathe new life into us. New life that will thrive, new life that will bring us deeper and closer to you, closer into communion with you, deeper into relationship with you that we might more closely mirror who you have made us to be. We thank you, God, for your promise of hope, your promise of peace, and we thank you, God, for the stump that causes us to pause and to be in awe of your goodness and of your love. We pray these things in the name of the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.